1: You think of folks that, uh, Malibu, for instance, comes to mind, but all up and down the coast where you've got folks that don't want the great unwashed in their uh, immediate vicinity. Um, They ought to stay off of our beaches and and they shouldn't be uh, using our bushes as as uh, restroom facilities and so forth what they forget of course is that um, there is an ocean out there which is not private property there's a mean high tide line below which we're dealing with public property
2: Welcome to Range: stories of the new American West. I'm Amy Westervelt. That was Mel Nutter you heard from in the intro. Mel was a founding commissioner of the California Coastal Commission, a panel that was formed in the 1970s to balance public access to California's beaches with the rights of developers looking to cash in on coastal developments. But while concerns over coastal development continue, our guest host today, Jill Replogle, found in her reporting this year that access to California's beaches is about more than just physical access. Jill joins us all the way from Orange County in Southern California. Welcome, Jill Replogel.
3: Thanks, it's great to be here. I really like the work that you and Julia do with the range, and I'm just super excited to share this story With you and with everyone that I've been working on
2: for a while. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more about this story, especially as someone who grew up kind of near the coast in California. I'm really excited to hear more about it. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: I was born in Southern California, but I actually grew up in Tucson, Arizona, so pretty far from the ocean. But my mom's side is all from California, so this was like our summer vacation land. You know, we had a lot of camping trips to Tahoe and And then we would go up to my grandma's house in Aptos, and every once in a while, I'd get to go to San Diego for a soccer tournament. And it was like this huge treat to be able to go to the beach. And when I moved back here, like 30 years later, I realized it's just the beach is such an amazing public resource for Californians. And now that I have kids, the beach is just, it's the best, man.
2: Yes, I grew up in Southern California going to the beach. What you just said reminded me of this period of time when I was splitting the year between California and Hawaii. Pretty great period in my life. (laughs) And I remember someone saying to me that the cost of living in both places is really high. And I was like, well, yeah, rent and food are high. But then everything I want to do, hike, go to the beach, swim, is all free. That's kind of like the luxury of living in a coastal area.
3: Yes, exactly. The problem is it ends up sort of not being free for everyone. You have to take into account the cost of parking, the cost of getting there, your picnic, you know, all these sort of external costs that go into your trip to the beach, unless you are super privileged and live right at the beach, which uh, most of us don't.
2: So it sounds like what you found in your reporting is that Californians' right to access the coast goes way beyond just physical access. But I feel like the fights over physical access is mostly what you hear about. Things like homeowners fencing off their land or putting up private staircases down the cliff to the beach and then locking them off.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's... Historically, what some of the big organizations like Surfrider Foundation, um, which advocates for public access to the beach, that's I mean that's what they focused on. Uh, but the problems do go way beyond staircases and gates. There's a, an environmental historian at UCLA, his name's John Christensen, and Philip King, who's an economist at San Francisco State University, they just presented this big study earlier this year looking at some of these barriers. And they did a statewide survey as part of the study, and more than 60% of people they talked to said access is a problem. And when they asked about specific issues, the high cost of visiting the beach was seen as a problem by a lot of people, and the high cost of parking was like a huge problem for a lot of people, um, especially people of color. And if you if you live, I mean, in Southern California, if you live even just like five miles from the beach, it could take you more than an hour to get there. And any you know, anywhere along the coast, it could take you two, three hours, maybe even more. And so you have to make a long day trip out of it or an overnight trip. And and that's where for a lot of people. um they, As part of that study, they did like a cost benefit analysis and this, this thing called a travel cost model. And they figured that we're just like really, really close to where it's just too expensive for a lot of people to go to the beach.
2: Yeah. See, then you really start to erode the whole stuff you want to do is free part of the equation. What are some of the other barriers that they looked at in the study?
3: Um, not having friends or family that go to the beach was one of the big reasons people said they didn't go more often, which isn't necessarily a barrier. It doesn't it doesn't seem like a, a barrier, but it's kind of you know if you're not if you're not familiar with it it's and and it's hard to get to, then it's you know you you just might never go. Um, not knowing how to swim was a, another pretty big one. So, yeah, I mean, and I had a chance to see firsthand how some of these barriers really play out. I went to Santa Monica Beach recently with this organization called the Surf Bus Foundation. Um, and as the name suggests, they take buses to parks and recs departments in inner city L.A. and Orange County neighborhoods. And they take kids to the beach to teach them how to surf.
4: Stand on the other side of the boards. My helpers... And my students, if you're dark blue, you're a student, you need to go stand on the other side of the surfboards. You're about to get a hand at your equipment.
3: So let me let me kind of paint this scene for you here. It's It was just a beautiful, beautiful, hot, sunny day. Um, we're just south of the Santa Monica Pier, and you can see the Ferris wheel and the roller coaster on the pier. And the ocean was glassy and calm, and and just with these small, perfect little beginner waves rolling in, and in, in really shallow water. And Marion Clark, who's the president of the foundation, is giving a pep talk. There's
4: a lot of ways to experience the ocean, and it occurs for all of us in very different ways. I look at that, I see a playground. I see swing sets, I see sandboxes, I see see teeter-totters, I see different areas. Every place there's a different sandbar, that's a totally different area of ocean. And that's the way it occurs for me but somebody else might look at it and just see a whole lot of mess those are it's the same place two different experiences hopefully after we go through some games today um we'll all no matter what road we took we'll all walk off the beach with really tired smiles on our faces
3: students on the day I went, which happened to be Earth Day, were African American or Latino. About 10 of them from Watts and North Hollywood. And there were like 25 volunteer instructors, so a lot of them. Um, And most of them were members of nearby high school surf teams, and they were mostly white. And it was just this really obvious contrast, which I think speaks to a couple of things. Um, One as we were talking about it, you know, it generally takes money to live by the coast these days. It's just not 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 a cheap place to live. It's really hard to find low-cost housing near the coast.
2: So if you're on the Santa Monica High School surf team, you're probably not poor. Yeah. I mean, that's a generalization, but most coastal real estate ain't cheap.
3: Oh, and, and this interesting aside about the Coastal Act that I forgot to mention before. Originally, it called for protecting low-income, low- and moderate-income housing, Um, Or housing for low and moderate income people in the coastal zone. And that lasted for about five years. And then, um, but during those five years, I read um, the Coastal Commission required new developments in in the coastal zone in Orange County to have up to 35% of the units be affordable housing, which to me is just, like, amazing.
2: Wow, what a huge difference a law like that would make in the state and the culture of coastal towns. I hope it goes through at some point.
3: There are some legislators who've tried to put it back in over the years, put the Affordable Housing Clause back in the Coastal Act, and it always fails. (laughs) Um, And and then surfing is kind of seen as a privileged sport. I mean, it requires not a lot of gear, but it requires some gear and usually have to have a car to get to the coast and like a car big enough that you can, you know, put your surfboard on. And although they do, the LA Metro and the light rail that goes through LA and Orange County just started allowing surfboards. So I thought that you needed to know how to swim to surf, but um, apparently you don't, according to uh, Marion Clark from the surf bus. I mean, they were in these really, it was just really, really shallow. So at the beginning of their lesson, they started out with this game where all the students and instructors walk out into the waves in this horizontal line holding hands. And someone in the middle would call over or under and the kids were supposed to go under the wave or over the wave
4: we do it to see who's super willing to face off with waves and who's not and you know it's a, it's a body language Whoa. thing so even that right there like there are people willing to duck like Vaughn in the middle with the stripes on his web so he's calling out over under and the tides dropping out like they can all walk right there but some of them see this one look at him he's like nope uh... watch him Even though he can stand up, even though he can stand up, he will not go through that one piece. And I saw it playing that ball game, and I'm seeing it. Everybody can stand up. Come on, push yourself.
3: Uh, So the guy that Marion is talking about, his name's Matthew Hernandez. He's 18 years old. And he lives less than an hour away, at least on a good day without traffic, in North Hollywood. And yet it was only the sixth time he had ever been to the beach. So he breaks away from this game that they're playing and he comes back on ashore. And Marian asks him what happened. And he says he can't swim. And he says he panics when he gets in the water and then he just goes straight under.
2: So did he go back out? Yeah,
3: he, he did eventually. And I talked to him a bit while he was getting up his courage to go out again and he told me he'd come close to drowning a couple of times. So. so his fear of the water was, you know, it was legit. And I asked him why he had never spent much time at the beach.
1: No one that I live with really wants to go to the beach.
3: Would you like to more? Yeah, I, I love it in the beach. It's, it calms, it like calms me down. So it's like, but it's like, it also terrifies me. Like, what was like a typical weekend? What would you do on a weekend? Video games. <laughs> That's pretty much it, but it's like once when I got older, it's like video games got more boring, so I just started going to the park.
2: So if I have to walk half a mile down the beach past a housing development to get onto the beach, does that mean my rights to access the beach are being violated? Like how, how far does the access really have to go?
3: Yeah, the, 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 those are the kinds of questions the California Coastal Commission has to deal with all the time. Uh, so before I talk about the Coastal Commission, I'm, I'm curious because um, I, I didn't grow up here. Is, is the Coastal Commission something you've learned about in like high school civics class?
2: Nope, not at all. I, I had not heard of the California Coastal Commission until I started reporting on environmental issues when I was like 25.
3: Okay, well, here goes Here goes um, high school civics 101. So the Coastal Commission is a state agency. It's a quasi-judicial agency. And it basically governs all development along the coast. So anything you want to build or change in the coastal zone is uh, you have to get a, a permit from the Coastal Commission. And um, and the Coastal Commission w- was born out of this voter-initiated proposition, Proposition 20, um, which was passed in 1972. And then in 1976, uh, the Coastal Act was passed, and that basically made Prop 20 permanent law. And this was like A really charged time in terms of California's coastal history. Um, In 1969, there was this big oil spill in Santa Barbara. You might know something about that.
2: So that actually is something we heard a lot about in school. And there was always just this sort of low-level panic about um, oil spills in the region. So I grew up in Ventura County. And driving up to Santa Barbara, you'd see these oil rigs dotting the horizon. And as a really little kid, I thought the docking station for them, which is like this really long dock with a little tiny bit of land and palm trees on it, was the real Gilligan's Island. <laughs> But once I heard about the history of those rigs and the spill, they always seemed really ominous. I think coverage of that spill was the first time you really saw what seemed like common images now of like oil-covered birds and beaches. And I know that spill was a big part of the push to create Earth Day and the EPA and all kinds of regulation, right?
3: Yes, yes. I mean, my I remember, like our generation maybe remembers the Exxon Valdez spill more. That was 20 years later, um, but before that, that oil spill in Santa Barbara was the biggest oil spill in history, and it created an oil slick that was 35 miles long along the coast, and it killed thousands of birds and seals. And, and, and it really galvanized the environmental movement. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, there's tons of development going along on the coast. California's population was booming, a lot of people wanted to live by the coast. It was like the whole California dream thing. Um, developers wanted to expand Highway 1 to make it to four lanes. So a lot of Californians were not happy about all of this. Um, a little while ago, I went to see one of the original coastal commissioners, um, so there's a panel of people that are on the Coastal Commission. Uh, And his name is Mel Nutter. He lives in Long Beach. And he told me a little bit about the precursors to Prop 20 and the 1976 Coastal Act.
1: One of the real concerns was that uh, there was a great deal of development pressure up and down the coast, and that uh, that was going to price a lot of people out of opportunities, both in terms of of living opportunities, housing, as well as recreational opportunities. And so a good piece of the original 1972 uh, Proposition 20, as it was called, contemplated uh, that uh, public access or access to the public ought to be uh, protected and made available so A number of efforts were made in the legislature in the late 60s to pass a law to uh, create some kind of a state agency and a state plan for the protection of the coast. And those legislative efforts failed on uh, successive legislative sessions. And so finally, a number of folks got together and said uh, to themselves, if the legislature can't do it, we're going to put together an initiative.
3: So, yeah, and, and Prop 20 passed, even though it had a lot of opponents, um, a lot of developers and oil companies did not like this idea. And those opponents outspent supporters 100 to 1.
2: That battle continues, right? I feel like every time I hear about the Coastal Commission or I get a press release about something that they're working on, it's about a fight between developers or private property owners and conservationists or pro-public access folks. That and the desalination plans. They're constantly dealing with proposals for those now too.
3: Right, right, right. And I mean that's and that's their job. That's the coastal commission's job. It is basically the battleground over coastal development in California. And it is uh, supposed to balance private property rights with public rights. And Mel Nutter, the former coastal commissioner, had a really colorful way of describing some of this tension and why the public has a legit stake in coastal development decisions.
1: You think of folks that uh, Malibu, for instance, comes to mind, but all up and down the coast where you've got folks that don't want the great unwashed in their... uh, immediate vicinity, Um, they ought to stay off of our beaches and and they shouldn't be uh, using our bushes as as, uh, restroom facilities and so forth. What they forget, of course, is that um, there is an ocean out there which is not private property. There's a mean high tide line below which we're dealing with public property that is owned by the public and one of the reasons why properties um, residences right next to those beaches in that ocean are worth so much is because they're in effect being subsidized by the public's property interest in the beach and in the ocean. I gotta say I'm really digging (laughs) Mel.
3: Yeah, he's he's great. He was really fun to talk to. Uh, so and the Coastal Commission, besides governing all this development in the coastal zone, which, by the way, the coastal zone is generally all the area within a half mile of the coast. That changes a little bit in different parts, but it's generally so like from the beach a mile back. Um, and the Coastal Commission is by law supposed to work to maximize access to the coast for everyone, for, for everyone. And specifically, which I think is the really interesting part, it's supposed to protect and expand, quote unquote, lower cost recreational opportunities. And that includes overnight lodging.
2: Wow. So Californians, at least in theory, have a right to a cheap vacation at the beach?
3: Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends where. There's definitely more cheap hotels in Northern California, Um, campgrounds, man, have you ever tried to reserve a spot at a beachside campground like over the summer or a holiday weekend?
2: Yeah. So there are some of those campgrounds, but I I have never even tried because I know, Even when you look like a month or two ahead of time, all of those campgrounds are booked out. I feel like there's like people that just wait until they're available for the year and then they book them up in like the first two days of the year and that's it.
3: Oh, I know. I I wish that was me. I really wish that I could. Sometimes I wish I could plan my life that far in advance, but it's just like it's never going to (laughs) happen. And if I did, I would sure I would have to cancel at the last minute. But but the fact is not everybody is into camping. And you know it requires equipment. You kind of have a lot of stuff to camp, right? And and you have to be comfortable with it. You kind of it's it's like not something you can just get into that easily. And then yeah, like I said, you know budget hotels and motels, um there are some, but the Coastal Commission did this big study on that last year and they found that almost 25,000 budget hotels and motels on the coast have closed down since 1989.
2: Wow. It's hard to imagine that 25,000 budget hotels ever even existed on the California coast. That's incredible. So, okay, you can't really find a cheap motel room and not everyone wants to camp. What about vacation rentals? What's happening with Airbnb on the coast?
3: Yeah. I mean, Airbnb is is a good option. And I think, you know, for a while, like when it really started getting big, um, they just blew up all over the coast and there were tons of Airbnb options. And, you know, it's great for families and it's also good for some people who live near the coast but don't necessarily have a lot of money and, you know, can rent out a room or something. Um, But people, but then there's other people who live in the coastal towns who were just not big fans of vacation
2: rentals. (laughs) Yeah, I know there's been some huge battles over Airbnb in some coastal towns and some cities, too, obviously. It's actually been a big issue up here in Tahoe, too. Um, The year-round residents don't love suddenly living next door to a hotel. (laughs) Um, And then there's just a lot more people on the roads and kind of using the infrastructure around town. Um, It's putting pressure on housing prices, all that stuff.
3: I mean, but, you know, all those and all those op- those like different points of opposition to Airbnb and VRBO, they're they're totally legitimate. I mean, I, I I can understand not wanting to have, you know, like parties in the house next door to me all the time. Um, and and there's been and it's been a huge issue here in Orange County Um Laguna Beach and Santa Monica and Newport Beach, there's been these just major fights over short-term rentals, and the cities have tried to put in really strict um, restrictions on short-term rentals and, you know, like the number of – cutting down the number of days you can rent them out or or not allowing them in residential neighborhoods and stuff like that. And – and it's created some really big rifts in in the communities in some of them i did a story in laguna beach where i mean the communities you know people like don't talk to each other anymore over this issue But the Coastal Commission has decided that short-term rentals are a good thing because they can be a big source of lower-cost accommodations, and that's part of their mission. They kind of put all these coastal cities and counties on notice that they were not going to allow outright bans of short-term rentals and that those cities had to get approval from the Coastal Commission before putting any restrictions on short-term rentals.
2: That's super interesting. And for me especially, it's interesting to see how much context really changes the debate around Airbnb. Up up here, the concern is that short-term rentals are pushing low-income and working-class people out. But on the coast, it sounds like allowing them actually improves access for low-income people or the unwashed masses, as Mel put it.
3: Yeah, and that's this the kind of unique thing about the coastal zone and living on the coast here is that you know as as mel put it you're you're kind of you're supposed to share <laughs> like you're supposed to share with me and all these other people who want to be at the coast too
2: So I'm curious what happened with Matthew. Did he ever get up on a board?
3: Oh my gosh, it was so it was so fun watching him start to get it. I mean he, they, you know, they progress from like these games to a boogie board and the surfboard, and so he's out there in the boogie board, and he, you know, he caught a couple waves, and like little by little, his, his he was like very serious at first, and then he was kind of starting to smile a little bit, and then, and then he went out with the surfboard, and he went out with this great instructor named Manny Moreno, who had a similar background. He was also from like an inner city neighborhood in LA, and he didn't learn how to swim until he was nineteen, and you know he was like thirty something, and he's a great surfer now. Um, and Marion was just watching them from the shore.
4: Oh, wow, is that Manny and Matthew? Look at that. Look at Matthew. Yee-hoo! Yeah, buddy. You don't even know. Oh. <laughs> You're killing it. And I don't know if you've this about me yet, but I don't say things I don't
3: mean. I feel great. It's uh, tired. It's, like, it's, it's fun. It's a lot better than I thought it was instead of like just being scared. Like I said earlier, just being scared over here and actually going deeper into the water and actually feeling the water go into like your, like all over your face, through your hair and all that. It's You can't
0: beat it, pretty much.
4: Everything is covered in the sea. It's joyful, it's terrifying, it's frustrating, it's blissful, it's romantic. I look at these waves and I feel love and I, and I see the happiness in other people's faces and when I see it, it's like I get a shot of it too. It's both completely selfish and completely selfless because if I feel this good and I know what my life is, looks like as a direct result from being in the water like it's overwhelming if i don't share it if i can share this and teach other people to see it the way i see it i mean the whole this whole pocket of the planet gets better
2: that's awesome, so I'm curious. was there anything that you learned in your reporting that was like particularly surprising to you, or I don't know just like um an unexpected thing
3: like when I started looking into this, one of my questions was like is it can you assume that everybody wants to go to the
2: beach? you know I'm, yeah, that's a really interesting question. you know it's come up up here a lot too. We have a lot of these little California poverty pockets around Lake Tahoe where people are living in intense poverty, but we also have the highest employment rate. So like everyone's working a lot and everyone's really broke. And the sort of assumption about these people is that they don't care about like all this stuff that everyone else is here for, like the lake and the forest and whatever. And it's so patronizing and sort of, I don't know, I feel like it's, it's another kind of form of discrimination where, of course, people, you know, why would they're humans? Why would they not enjoy the lake, too? Why would they not want their kids to go to the beach at the lake? You know what I mean?
3: Right. Well, I think this was one of the questions that um, John Christensen, the guy that, that did the UCLA, the study for UCLA, really wanted to to find out. And I like I, I wasn't sure either. I was I I just wasn't sure if that was an, like what assumption you could make about that. And even, I mean, some people that I talked to at the Coastal Commission, they were really excited for for the outcome because they they didn't really know either. And so it turns out they um they asked people in this in this field poll, and this was of people all over California, um, how important the coast was to them. And 90% of them said that the condition of California's beaches and ocean was was important to them, like personal. On a personal level, and it was it was pretty consistent across all ages, income levels, ethnic groups, uh, and and they also I mean three out of four people said they visited the coast at least once a year. So Californians love the coast. It is you know it it is it is a thing. <laughs>
2: Ah, I love it, especially as someone who kind of grew up around the coast. I really, really love this story. Um, thanks for bringing it to us. I really appreciate it. And for those of you who want to learn more, Jill also wrote a story about this for High Country News, which happens to be one of our partners. Uh, you can check that out at HCN.org. And you can follow Jill for more updates on Twitter at JillRep, representative We'll also put a link to the UCLA study that she mentioned in the show notes, which includes a map of all of the different lodging options available on the California coast. It's pretty cool. That's it for this time. See you next time. Range is produced by me, Amy Westervelt, with original music from David Whited. The illustrations for each episode are done by Mr. James Guffman. You can find us online at rangepodcast.org or on Twitter at rangepodcast. Season two of Range is sponsored in part by a generous grant from the Nevada Humanities Council. If you have feedback on this episode, ideas for another one, or want to tell us why you hate camping, send us a note at howdy at rangepodcast.org.